Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. We like to end your week with us here on Seattle Sports Saturday, but we're about to embark on a historic week in Seattle sports over the next few days. Heck, tomorrow we're going to know just who it is the Seattle Kraken will be picking from as the lists will likely be made public on Sunday by the NHL. Wednesday, you've got the expansion draft, and then on Friday, you've got the NHL entry draft where they'll be picking from guys in junior hockey and also in college hockey. So there are plenty of ways for this Kraken roster to be made over the next week here. And there are plenty of news and notes flying around social media right now as to who might be made available, who is likely to end up on the Kraken roster. We will get you some of those rumors here today, but before we do all of that, my guy Taylor Jacobs, I'm Curtis Rogers. We are with you here for the next two hours here on 710 ESPN Seattle, just as we are most Saturdays. Glad to be with you. It's been a couple of weeks with holidays and preemptions uh, taking us off the last few Saturdays. But Taylor, good to be back with you. And we are seeing plenty of news trickling out about the Kraken here. I am just beside myself with excitement and also with a little bit of uh, anxiousness as to what we're going to see this week. It's really real. It's really here. And uh, players will be selected. Rosters will be set. And uh, you will know what this hockey team will look like by the time uh, we talk in, I guess, not next week, but the week after that, you'll have a full, almost full roster. So I'm hoping we have some sweaters to, and or if you call them jerseys, but, but either way, one of the two, we need to have them at some point soon because, uh, with the roster coming here this week, it's, uh, it's exciting times to be a Kraken fan. And, uh, for a usually slow time, everyone calls the, uh, the after all-star break, the slowest time in sports. We got a lot to talk about here today, Curtis. We definitely do. And we'll obviously get some Kraken rumors. There's Plenty of Mariners stuff going on, even though they had four days off this week. We've got the MLB draft. They get a win last night against the Angels to start off that series. was a little tight at the end, maybe a little too close for comfort, but we will talk about where this team is going as we near the trade deadline, which is now just two weeks away, officially two weeks away, July 31st. And then also a big story out of the NFL this week involving former Seahawk Richard Sherman. We will get into that conversation as well as just get you up to speed on the latest news with Sherm and also uh, the case that has been laid out there he pled not guilty this week so we will get into all of that coming up here on this seattle sports saturday before we dive into all of that though as we do each and every saturday we start off with our big three number one well curtis mentioned it there we'll uh we'll tackle the tough news first but the king county prosecutor's office announced friday that it will be charging former Seattle Seahawks cornerback Richard Sherman with five misdemeanors following his arrest in Redmond earlier this week. Sherman will face charges for the following alleged crimes, driving under the influence, reckless endangerment of roadway workers, second degree criminal trespass with the domestic violence component, 
resisting arrest, and third-degree malicious mischief with the domestic violence component. So Sherman entered a plea of not guilty for all five charges during a Friday afternoon arraignment. He was released from jail on Thursday without bail, and he will appear in court for a pretrial hearing on August 13th at the King County District Courthouse in Redmond. Now, Richard Sherman did release a statement yesterday via his personal Twitter account stating that he is deeply remorseful for his actions and that he has been dealing with some personal challenges over the last several months. So sending our best thoughts out to Richard Sherman, to his family, to his friends, um, to all the people around him who will help him help him hopefully get through all of this um, unfortunate stuff that happened earlier this week. Number two. The Mariners return to action following the All-Star break on Friday night down in Anaheim against the Angels. The week started with a call-up of a top prospect. That would be Cal Raleigh last Sunday. And the week basically ended one with with Jared Kelnick getting called up last night. He was in the lineup, got a hit, snapped that 0-41 hitless streak. So shout-out to Kelnick for getting on base last night. We're still waiting, though, on breakthrough performances from both guys with the Mariners. They have not slowed down as they still find themselves in this gray area between rebuilding and challenging for a wild-card spot. They're 49-43 and right now, very much within earshot of that second wild-card spot. Now, normally during the All-Star break, the front office gets a nice little break, but not this time as Major League Baseball moved the draft from June to the week of the All-Star game. The Mariners made 20 draft picks in total, selecting from high school and college players, and they did something they've never done under Jerry DePoto and something that Jerry DePoto has never done as a general manager between Seattle and Anaheim. That's take a high schooler in the first round. Georgia high school catcher and outfielder Harry Ford was the Mariners' top pick. You thought the headlines were over and done with with the Mariners? No. Hector Santiago, his suspension for violating the league's foreign substances policy, that was upheld by Major League Baseball by those cowards in the commissioner's office, not even investigating the substances that were on his glove. He now sits for 10 games. The Mariners have are forced now to play with 25 players, even though they have a full 26-man roster. And then game two of their series tonight takes place against the Angels, a 6.07 start time. 5 o'clock is the pregame show right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Number three. Well, we let off with it. The Seattle Kraken expansion draft set for Wednesday, July 21st, and a list of players who will be protected and unprotected by teams, except the Vegas Golden Knights. They're exempt. Across the whole NHL will be finalized by 2 p.m. today. Now, those lists will be revealed on Sunday, so we'll know exactly who general manager Ron Francis will be able to choose or not choose in the building for his inaugural roster draft. And according to Pierre Lebrun of TSN and The Athletic, all signs point to the Kraken signing and selecting pending unrestricted free agent goalie Chris Drieger from the Florida Panthers as part of the expansion draft process. Now, the Kraken will be required to select three goalies, so he won't be the only uh, one selected in this whole process, but let's not forget the amateur NHL draft also set for this week next Friday. And we'll dive a little bit deeper into the Kraken, what they look to accomplish, who they should be focused on, and what big names might be available to them in both drafts at 11.45 today. Plenty of rumors trickling out. We will get into a lot of those coming up in about 30 minutes from now here on Seattle Sports Saturday. 
Taylor, you mentioned the Chris Drieger rumor. He's not the only name getting floated out as a potential possibility for the Kraken, including the son of a pretty well-known player from the 90s and 2000s. Uh, We'll get into that coming up uh, later on in this hour, but that is this hour's Big Three. That's how we start off every hour on Seattle Sports Saturday. We'll get you another one coming up at noon today. Some honorable mentions. Russell Wilson doing some more media rounds, taking some time out from his trip to Italy. Uh, and he was on with Dan Patrick this week saying that his relationship with Pete Carroll never been better, kind of echoing what we heard from Pete at minicamp regarding where their relationship kind of stands at this point. Now, it's one thing to say that, Taylor. I Maybe I'm a little skeptical because of all the, not necessarily mudslinging, but there was some passive aggressiveness, I think, from both sides this offseason. Uh, do you buy that this relationship is in a good spot right now heading into training camp, which starts in 11 days, or do you think there might still be some some uh, wrinkles that need to be ironed out? Curtis, if I've learned anything in my 32-plus years of life, especially living here in Seattle, it's that passive-aggressiveness is only so much here in the city. So I buy that the relationship is good. Yeah, they had the passive aggressiveness, like, you know, going out on a date on Capitol Hill. But this is, I think they're in a great spot right now. I think they did what they needed to do this offseason. I think all sides are happy with where they are and, and what they did. And I think now it's about putting in the work and seeing if they can really implement Shane Waldron's offense and not have too many growing pains because usually when you instill or install a new offense into these teams, uh, it takes a little time. So hopefully it doesn't take as much time as some in the past and it runs into the regular season. So I think they're in a good spot. Yeah, passive aggressiveness, not that big of a deal here. <laughs> it, it it's every it's an everyday thing here in, in the northwest. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some other honorable mentions: uh, three Seattle Storm players will represent the USA at the Tokyo Olympics. Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart, and Jewel Lloyd. The men's team having some struggles in their exhibitions. Also, the women too. Uh, team USA women's lost to Australia earlier this week. I think there's less cause for concern on the women's side because the men are down to like six players now. But uh, I look at the Tokyo Olympic basketball scene right now, Taylor. I don't know if it's going to be shaping up quite in the way we've expected it to when it comes to the American side of things. Yeah, but also this Olympics is going to be weird. I don't, uh, it, it feels like an asterisk type Olympics, and it just feels weird. And hey, look, Storm, number one team in the WNBA. Let's keep it rolling. Sixteen and five. Three of their stars, the three pillars of this team, uh, really making the All Star or pardon me, the Olympic team. So it, it, it's fantastic to see all of the success they have, both for club and country, as they say around the world. Yes, and then also we got the news on the start time this week for a college football game in this area of the country that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in. Uh, Washington, when they travel to Ann Arbor to take on the Wolverines of Michigan, that game will be under the lights at the Big House, a 5 p.m. Pacific time kickoff, 8 p.m. back east uh, in Michigan. So Jim Harbaugh taking on the Huskies September 11th. Uh, That game, I believe, was moved because 
of, I think the game's going to be on ABC, and I think ABC has a special earlier that day on the 20th anniversary of September 11th, obviously. So uh, the Huskies moving under the lights at Michigan. There are very few scenes in college football as picturesque and as, as like, earth or like bone chilling as the big house at night. I am super excited to watch that game and to see that kind of atmosphere coming up uh, in just a couple of months from now. Yeah. The big house, one of the storied settings and also Curtis, if you're a Seahawk and you dub fan, you could pull the double and hop in a rental car, head on down to Indy and watch the Seahawks take on the Colts the next day as well, if you're that ambitious. But yeah, no, uh, a lot of great football I'm so to be played here in just a short amount of time. College football to see UW, even though I'm a Coug, uh, yeah. play in those big settings, <laughs> those big games. It's great for the conference. That's what we need. And what we really need is for the dogs to win that game. Get the Pac-12 yes. off on a great start this season. <laughs> Let, let's bring some eyes to this conference. Let's show Larry Scott that it was true. Truly all his fault, and let's just yeah. run it, run the table. Someone run the table this year. Well, and I think something that can be agreed upon between Huskies and Cougs is a disdain for Jim Harbaugh. So why oh, not yeah. why not give Jim Harbaugh another loss to start a season? You know, we know he ends his season with a loss every year to Ohio State. How about we change it up, start it off with a loss to to the Huskies? I think everybody in the Pac-12 is okay with that. I think that would be. Uh, a, a welcome sight for uh, sore football eyes here in the Pac-12. That is this hour's Big Three. Coming up in this hour, we told you we're going to get you some of the latest news and rumors regarding protection lists across the NHL as the Kraken are getting set to make their selections on Wednesday. But before we get to that, it was the biggest story in the NFL, probably the biggest story locally as well because it happened locally. That would be the the arrest of Richard Sherman Football becoming secondary for Sherm and his family. We will discuss the latest news regarding that situation and where this impacts his NFL playing days uh, that you know are now very much in limbo. That's coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in this hour, the Mariners in a weird gray area as to figuring out what they want to do near the trade deadline. We're two weeks away. We'll talk that. We'll talk whether or not calling up the kids, Cal Raleigh and Jared Kelnick, was the right move at this current juncture as we are really so close to the trade deadline. You do kind of have to see what you've got in your back pocket in those guys, but we will talk whether or not that was the right move. Taylor Jacobs and Curtis Rogers here with you on 710 ESPN Seattle. We're with you till 1 p.m. And Taylor, the big news this week, really in sports outside of the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, here locally was the stunning arrest of Richard Sherman on, what was it, Tuesday night going into Wednesday morning. And just looking at all that he has accomplished in his NFL career and really all that he has accomplished here in the city of Seattle, it was it was shocking to see his name on the police blotter. It was shocking to see his name uh, with the words "arrested" and, and to see, uh, you know, the arrest record and that going around on social media. But we really don't know these athletes off the field, and I think that is is one of the things that is so hard to come to grips with in this situation is that we we all kind of thought we knew 
who Sherm was based off of how he carried himself in the public eye and how he carried himself on the field and how involved in the community he has been, not just here in Seattle, but also in the Bay Area and also in his hometown of Compton, California. This is a guy that has done so much for so many. And to see just a, a situation where you could tell that something is not right with him, something is not right with, with those around him, I, it is still days later so hard to see and it's really very hard to come to grips with yeah and you know personally seeing richard at ford sports performance and the things he's done there with the kids in the football community here in the pacific northwest he's also pretty active in the esports community and i've and i've run into him a couple times in that realm as well so uh curtis i'm with you when the news came out it was stunning it was shocking um he, I, I think the one thing we shouldn't lose sight in is he is still a pillar in the community, right? He may have done some wrong, but he is still this person who can and will do good in the community. And that's what his track record has shown. Uh, and I know that that will continue uh, in, in spite of all the things that happened this week. So I think that's one thing that we need to make clear is that from what we've seen and what he's done and, and gone out there with his actions and, and accomplished, I think that's one thing we need to, to to highlight in this whole situation because it's tough. It's probably going to be the lowest moment of his life. And unfortunately, it was the talk of the nation in the sports community this past week. And it raises a lot of big questions. And I'm curious for the texters to text in. You know, we're not here to drag anyone, but the question, and I think, Curtis, you, you, you put it great here, is, you, you know, why are celebrities and athletes not afforded some of the same opportunities to fail in, in I don't want to say in secret, but to fail without these sort of consequences like some of us are? And is it right? Is there a way to help some of these athletes and celebrities, people who are in the limelight, go through this? I think Naomi Osaka is a great example of, of someone who started to put her mental health and her and her physical health before her, uh, you know, her her sports accomplishments. And will that become more and more common? And and should it become more and more common? There's so many questions. So text in seven ten seven ten. I want to hear from a lot of people. Because there's no right answer, right? This is a, a, no. a, a tough discussion we all are going to have in our different groups, in our in our families, and our friends about you know what we do and how we react to things like this. So I would love to hear from everyone about that because I'm curious what people think about it. And Curtis, I'll, I'll start with you. What, what do you think about this situation with athletes and celebrities not having those same sort of opportunities? Yeah, in going back to kind of. Naomi Osaka pulling out of Wimbledon and pulling out of the French Open because of, you know, uh, mental health issues and because of anxiety issues and, and not wanting to have to answer for those in the press and whatnot. That, to me, was a very pivotal moment in sort of this cause for the mental health of athletes because we all think they have it together. We all think that, you know, when you get paid hundreds of millions of dollars, that is going to help, you know, put aside any kind of struggle that a common person would have when it comes to money. Cause I mean, money is something that, you know, it causes a lot of stress for just regular people. Can I afford rent this month? Whatever. 
when you don't have those issues, I think a lot of us do kind of think that, oh, what do you have to worry about? I've seen a couple people this week, you know, be like, oh, you know, how can somebody who makes this kind of money be this angry and whatnot? And it's like, well, look, money is not the the answer to any of this. Um, getting back to the original question, why are athletes and celebrities not afforded the same opportunities to, to fail like the rest of us? It is sort of this just absolute desire to know everything about these people from from fans and, and just onlookers alike. And sometimes when you want to know everything about somebody, you find some stuff that you are very uncomfortable with. And I don't know if incidents like this with the Sherman family, with, with Richard and his in-laws and his wife... Like, I don't know if that's something that that needed to be out there for public consumption, uh, especially the 911 call and the the door cam footage. I mean, it's out there. If you want to see it, you can you can go find it. Just Google search it. You're going to find it within a couple seconds. I'm not going to direct you to it, but uh, it's out there for you to find. Um, I just I don't know if that is something that you know, sports fans specifically have ever been ready for because, you know, just going back to the invention of like TMZ sports, everybody's like, all right, we're going to find some dirt on these athletes. And it's like, hmm, I don't know if, if that's something we want to, to know about because there are some guys that, you know, there are some unreported stories out there of athletes that, you know, haven't been brought to light and it's kind of like you would think very differently about this person if you knew what they were truly up to behind closed doors and unfortunately this incident which happened you know between a family and now it's been broadcast to the world you can't really ever get that back and and now Sherm has to sort of pay this this you know collateral damage to society and uh you know it's that's just kind of how it is but unfortunately they aren't afforded the same kind of privacy that those of us who are nowhere near as famous as them get yeah and look i know the text line is starting to flood in here and and you know the 360 talking about how news radio and media in general continues to speak on these situations so it's a part of the problem and i agree that it is you know what I mean? And unfortunately, the way the news cycle is built right now, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week that people want to and need to consume news and and more information, as much information as they can over this time. And in doing so, you create these conversations and you create sometimes these topics where you have to talk about these things. But also, I think it's a great opportunity for people like Curtis and I to highlight some of the great things, right? That there are national suicide prevention lifelines for people. Maybe that if you do need some help and you're seeing Richard Sherman go through the situation and you can call a number 1-800-273-8255 if you need that number, that there could be some good to come out of this as well. And yes, I know that there's people here who are angry. They're reacting, you know, in an emotional way, it, it hurts to see people that you look up to do this in the community. And it hurts that, you know, it feels like sometimes people who are celebrities or athletes or are well-known can take advantage of the system. And people like us, the listeners and you and I, Curtis, can't 
um, experience those types of things either. So is there, how do we find the balance between the preferential treatments and and going overboard and, and truly invading these people's lives and, and and it's tough and, and privacy is a big discussion it's a big topic right now and as the internet grows it's it, it continues to grow so it, it's not an easy conversation to have this week and it will continue to to go on from weeks from now so i continue yeah. to to just implore you to to explore the options if you need help yeah and i think there was a lot of great conversation this week on 710 with guys who have played in the nfl that saw the end of their careers come maybe a little earlier than they had anticipated. Michael Bumpus and Brock Heward were on Blue 42 this week. They had a great back and forth just about the end of their playing days. Jake Heaps on with uh, Stacey Ross this week during uh, Four Down Territory had a, a tremendous uh, about 10 minutes on just the end of his playing career and, and some of the struggles he's had. Um, you know, these are guys who we work with every day and they look like they have it all together. Uh, and, you know, they all, Dave Wyman as well, uh, all of them look like they have it together and they've got great families and just, you know, they've, they've lived this life of the NFL and even, even all four of them have, you know, dealt with issues at the end of their playing careers. Just like, Hey, you know, I wasn't in a, in, in the right headspace when I ended my career, but now I am, I've got things going for me. Um, if you want to listen to any of those conversations, check out the podcast page, 710sports.com. Those guys put it so eloquently this week on just what it's like being near the end of his career. And, and Sherm, I think, is not necessarily – I don't know if this is the end of his career, to be honest. I don't know if this is something that will put a fork in his career. Let's say he, he gets everything taken care of. He, he's on the straight and narrow. He gets in the right headspace. Who knows? Maybe there is a second chapter to his NFL career here. But he's 33 years old. He's currently a free agent still. Uh, coming off of three of the last four seasons, he's been kind of banged up in, in various degrees. Maybe this is the end of his NFL career. And the end of a career at the age of 33 is something that not many people have to deal with because, look, when you're at the end of your career, just at the end of your working life, you're usually in your 60s, 70s, however old you are, to lose the thing that you have been building towards your entire life at the you know in your early 30s like that's that is so hard to come to grips with yeah uh and and on i i won't ever experience that uh you know i'm already 32 so i'm i don't think in uh, my career is going to end in the next two years so it's tough and you invest so much time and effort and it becomes who you are and you play at the top level and you become a superstar and you become a legend in a city and you have an iconic moment. You know what I mean? And then to to ramp down from that has to be difficult to have such high highs to return to normal. It's a big jump down, unfortunately. So again, there's a lot of people who go through a lot of things. Mental health doesn't care where you're from, how much money you make, what you look like, you know, any of that information. It does not matter. So, again, if you need help, if you need those resources, again, just reach out 1 800 273 8255. If you need help in recovering, 1 866 789 1511. Those are both. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you need help, 
please get it because there are people like Curtis and I who care that you're there. And if we, even if we don't agree on something like this and you're texting in and we disagree, we care that you have the, and the ability to get well. So that, that, that's, I think a great place for, for us to end this tough conversation, Curtis. Yeah. A multifaceted conversation. It's a conversation. There's so many layers to it. We only have so much time here on Seattle sports Saturday. We're with you till one o'clock, but yeah, this is a conversation that, uh, it, it's good that it has sparked a lot of these kinds of discussions this week because they're topics that are tough to talk about. And, you know, in order to be able to better handle them, you got to talk about them. So we're doing our part there. You're doing your part on the Mac and Jack's text line, 710-710. A lot of good texts coming in. But coming up next, the Mariners, they win last night. They're 49-43. and 43. We're two weeks away from the trade deadline but do we think they're going to do anything beyond call some guys up from the minor leagues? We've seen Kelnick and Raleigh up or more on the way. We'll talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Well, it wouldn't have been a Mariners game last night if it hadn't ended in a one-run score. I mean, you go into the ninth inning, Thinking things were in hand, but you know what? Had to make it a little tighter as they just escape with the one-run victory, 6-5 to five, over the Angels last night. Look, that run differential, it went up by one run last night. It's better than none, right? It's better than going down. They got the win. Uh, you know, things are going a little, uh, little off-kilter at the end, but they got the victory. Uh, but now they go for a series victory today against the Angels, which would put them at a season high, seven games over 500. Uh, right now they're 49 and 43 at this point of the season. We're two weeks out from the trade deadline, Taylor. And I don't know. I look at this team right now, and there are some obvious holes in the lineup. There are some obvious holes in the starting rotation because of the ineffectiveness of Justice Sheffield and Marco Gonzalez through this point of the season, which, you know, in the health of Justin Dunn, those are three guys who you're banking on in a big way to start your year. Now they've gone down to the five-man rotation. Now they're getting great performances out of guys like Kikuchi, Flexen, and Logan Gilbert right now. But when you look at what this Mariners team is is lacking right now, do you think they have it within them to pull off maybe a, a, a trade at the deadline where – they kind of open some eyes and say, hey, look, this is a move where we're clearly going to go for this this wild card berth. I, I I want to, Curtis. I want to believe that there is a move out there that this team can make, but I just I, I don't see it happening at this trade deadline at this moment. In spite of everything, like you just mentioned, Curtis, they're still playing at a high clip, right? Yes, the run differential is we could spend two hours talking about that and, and what, what, what we can read into that number. But the fact of the matter is they're still winning games. They're still being competitive and getting some of these younger pieces to start to produce a little bit more. So to me... Some of these innings that they're playing right now before the trade deadline are almost like 1.5 worth of an inning because of how valuable it is. They they are competing to win. They have the pieces to stay somewhat competitive in these games. So to me, to, to move and, and try and make some of these moves right now 
will most likely cost a little bit more than than what it would in free agency and, and if you get to that point. So to me, it feels like this Mariners team needs to hold at the trade deadline, don't move any of the young pieces, wait until that free agency period until you know what you have from this team in this young season. Do you need to replace Marco and Justice? Can, can you know? Can Justin Dunn come back from that injury and maybe fill the the void of one of those pitchers? And then you're only focusing on one starting pitcher at the top. And you know what can some of these young guys who are coming up through the minors do? And how soon will they be up there? There's still a lot of great questions to be asked about this team. So, uh, what about you, Curtis? What do you think about these sort of young kids getting these this these reps right now? Is it important to get him up here, or is it important to, for them to stay in the the minors and really focus on that. I think right now the goal of the Mariners bringing up Kelnick and Raleigh at this point in the season is to kind of see what you have before the trade deadline comes. We've got a two week sort of audition. I think for these guys to see if they are going to be parts of the rest of the 2021 season at the major league level, whether or not they're going to be everyday guys kind of remains to be seen. Now, I I think these guys, I still think the world of both of these guys, I think Kelnick for as many struggles as he has had at the plate at the major league level, I still think he is one of the best prospects in baseball. And I think you can kind of just toss all that happened his first time at the, you know, at the major league level out the door, even though you kind of saw a little more struggle last night, striking out in his first two plate appearances against the lefty. Um, But I think that if Raleigh and Kelnick don't reach sort of the ceiling that DePoto and company had kind of pegged for them this season, I think you do see the Mariners probably go out and make a move or, or, or some. We saw on MLB Network Radio yesterday, Jerry DePoto say that they are in the market for a second baseman and a right-handed bat. Now, who knows if that comes with just one move, getting a right-handed hitting second baseman, or maybe that's a couple moves. To me, what I look at in terms of available players, that right-handed bat, Nelson Cruz, comes to mind. We saw Jeff Passan kind of spotlight that potential a couple weeks ago in a column for ESPN.com. And he mentioned the Mariners as one of five teams that make sense for a trade of Nelson Cruz. He's 41 years old. He's playing for the Minnesota Twins, who are going nowhere fast. I think Nelson would love to be part of a pennant race. And we all know that there's plenty of history with him here in Seattle. So that kind of makes sense to me. But would the Mariners be willing to make a move for somebody like that if the Twins do ask for a top prospect? If they do, I think you... you wipe your hands clean and say, nope, not this time. But if they ask for somebody that is, you know, five, six years away from the major leagues, I would be stunned if the Mariners don't at least entertain that. Yeah, I know. It's such a difficult situation and I love texts like this from the 206 same old Mariners well if you've been listening in the past 10 years no actually it's not the same old Mariners they've never had a minor system with this many guys coming up with the potential to call Jared Kelnick a bust right now I I hope you kept that same energy with Edgar Martinez when he was hitting 280 in 14 games in 1988 and then hitting 240 in 1989 through 60 games I hope you kept that energy with Edgar Martinez when his numbers looked similar and he struggled to find it oh and then he turned it on when he started to play a little bit more over 100 games in a season so these guys will figure 
figure it out. It's way too early to call Kelenic a bust. And to, to say it's the same old Mariners is naive because this team is actually well positioned in Major League Best Baseball to be buyers in the offseason and to make a serious run with all of these young pieces and to have more pieces coming up, more trade pieces that next trade deadline you want to make a serious run, you might be able to move some of those pieces for a legit contract, a legit player. So not the same old Mariners. Sorry, unfortunately. A little bit different, 206. A little bit, yeah. I would say to to label this era of Mariners baseball as similar to what it was under Bill Bavese and Jack Zarenzik is not very fair to the players that are currently in this system because there seems to be a buy-in that we have not seen from this organization from the top down in a long, long time. It has been quite quite amount of, it's been quite a number of years since we last saw this and I, I think right now the Mariners I mean we just saw the Major League Baseball draft come and go this week that's another 20 names to add to this farm system who knows how these guys are going to maneuver their way through but you bring in another guy like Harry Ford who is a potential name in a few years down the road I mean look this is a a group in this farm system that has given new life to this organization and like you said, to call anybody a bust right now after, what, 85 Major League at-bats is ridiculous. Mike Trout, his first year at the Major League level hit like 220, and now he is already a Hall of Famer. He doesn't need to play another game in his career. He is already in Cooperstown. So to already write some of these guys off at this point in their career, that is absurd. That is a joke. And I, like you said, keep that same energy for when you know they potentially turn it around. Uh, coming up in the next hour of Seattle Sports Saturday, we'll get you a big three, a big week in the NBA with the NBA Finals. We're down to the last three games of the Finals and also a huge week at the All-Star Game for Shohei Otani. But up next, we are going to be looking at some of the latest news and rumors regarding the Kraken. Protection lists are going to be filed by just when we're done here, uh, 2 o'clock Pacific time. So make sure that you are keeping an eye on social media. We'll get you up to speed with some of those names and rumors next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. One of my very favorite things over the last couple of weeks has been whenever the Seattle Kraken have made mention on social media of the impending expansion draft, which is this upcoming Wednesday. The collective freakout from fans of other teams, just like, hey, stay away from our players. Like, don't take such and such name. It is so great to have this power. It is it, the Kraken are agents of chaos right now. They have sort of thrown a spoke bomb into the crowd of the NHL teams and everybody has just lost their collective minds here over the last oh, 48 hours or so as they're trying to put the finishing pieces on their protection list. And, and Taylor, looking at some of the names being floated out today uh, by a lot of NHL insiders, Darren Drager of TSN, Pierre Lebrun also of The Athletic and TSN, they have been uh, naming some names as to guys who will likely end up on the Kraken or could potentially be there. Uh, some pretty interesting ones. We heard from Pierre Lebrun uh, just as the show started today. Panthers goalie Chris Drieger is likely going to end up in Seattle as an unrestricted free agent signing, which would count towards Seattle's pick made from the Florida Panthers organization. 
And then also a very interesting one earlier today, too, from Darren Drager of TSN, that it looks as though Columbus will leave Max Domi unprotected. If his na- if his last name sounds familiar to you hockey fans out there, his dad, Ty Domi, longtime Maple Leaf uh, enforcer in the 90s and 2000s, that's his son. So uh, some good bloodlines there from Max Domi, who's a, a much different player than his dad. He's a guy that... Uh, can score a lot of points. Just a couple of years ago, had a breakout season with the Canadians, scoring 72 points in an 82-game season. So uh, some interesting names being floated out today, Taylor, of the direction that this Kraken team can go. I think there are plenty of ways they can go about it, whether you want to build young guys or, or maybe make a run for it right out of the gates like we saw with Vegas. How do you think... Or how do you think they are going to approach this? They've got Dave Haxtell, who is a head coach that has plenty of experience with young guys during his time at University of North Dakota. Do you think they go young with this expansion draft? Because you look at names like Drieger and Max Domi, neither one of those guys are 30 years old yet, so there's still plenty of youth left in those guys. Or or do you think this is a team that goes the Vegas route and looks for a lot of veteran help and, and really hits the ground running? It's got to be a balance of both, but the the veteran leader needs to be that goalie, the goaltender, the, the the man between the net. He needs to be the most important leader on this team, and we saw it with the Vegas Knights, um, with Fleury, Andre Fleury, that he was so crucial to their success and the reason why they made the Stanley Cup. That that's what the Kraken need to emulate. They they were able to fill in veteran leadership throughout the different lines, as well as young players throughout the different lines, and to have that leader, the trusted guy in the back, you it's just the way hockey is built right now. And fortunately and unfortunately, that there is so much emphasis on keeping people out of the goal and having a good goaltender to do that is the utmost importance. So finding those names, we, we were talking about it off air. I think uh, Ben Bishop, another name mentioned in, in potential conversations about who could be, you know, left available. There's some big names of people. And, and I know that, you know, when you mentioned someone like TJ Oshi in this area, yeah. people are going to get really excited. So, and you know, we've also heard rumors about like national stars and international stars like PK Subban, who could potentially be available as well. So, to me, Curtis, and I'll throw it back to you and ask you what your opinion is, but start with that goalie in the back, that veteran leader where you, who you can trust. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is going to be a, a huge key for this organization. We heard from a couple people this week on 710. Uh, Kraken play-by-play guy for Root Sports, John Forslund. He was on with Danny and Gallant this week. And then Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com. He was on with Jake and Stacy. They both drove home that point that you're talking about there, Taylor. Of finding a goaltender is going to be huge for this early success of the Kraken franchise, just as you mentioned with Vegas, finding Marc-Andre Fleury, who is a Hall of Fame goalie. He is going to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame one day. Now, there isn't anybody of that ilk available, at least right now, but there is still some good goaltending talent out there. Braden Holtby of the Vancouver Canucks, who I think a lot of hockey fans remember from his days with the Washington Capitals. Uh, He won a Stanley Cup with the Capitals just a few years ago when they beat Vegas in the finals uh, during Vegas' inaugural season. 
there are so many comparisons to be made between Seattle and Vegas, and, and you look at what Vegas has done right out of the gate, Taylor. Three conference finals in their first four years, a Stanley Cup final appearance in their inaugural season. That level of success is almost unattainable for really any franchise, let alone a brand new one, and yet they have somehow created a hockey haven down in the desert. When you look at the Kraken right now, do you think there's more or less pressure on them to have early success out of the gate after what we have seen Vegas be able to do during their first half decade of existence? Yeah, I think it's more pressure, Curtis. I think that with the same expansion draft rules, with the same sort of expectations of, okay, this franchise was passionate, they had passionate ownership and GMs and, and the front office, and they came in and this is what they did, you should be able to do this as well. And I think a lot of Seattle hockey fans are starting to learn the game and, and they're looking to Vegas for uh, you know a leading example of what they can follow, but... Before the the Vegas Knights uh, hit the ice, the expectations were dirt level low. I mean, it, it couldn't have been lower, and the the bets of the odds of them making the Stanley Cup, the playoffs were were astronomical. I think it was five hundred to one that they would win the Stanley Cup, and they made it. So, the, the fact that they made it with those odds tells you how underrated people thought of the Vegas Knights, and I think that pendulum swings back, unfortunately for the Kraken, that now the pressure is on them to deliver some of those similar results to what the Golden Knights did. Yeah, you bring up the Stanley Cup odds for this upcoming season. The Kraken, are they have better odds than two other teams, the Buffalo Sabres and the Detroit Red Wings right now. So, like, even though they have one player in their organization right now, and he has only played at the junior level, uh, like... They still have better odds than two established franchises in the league. And one of those teams, the Sabres, is going to have the number one pick in the draft uh, You know, this week on Friday where Seattle's going to be picking number two. And that's another place where Seattle can find talent, too, is that number two pick uh, in the draft. In hockey, guys do play a lot after being initially selected right out of the junior ranks or out of the college ranks. We've seen a bunch of names sort of floated out as potential targets of Seattle, specifically a couple guys from the University of Michigan. Um, But yeah, protectionless due by 5 p.m. Eastern time today. That'd be 2 o'clock, so just an hour after we are done. uh, Those lists will be into the NHL, and we will probably find out on Sunday, just who is available for the taking uh, for Seattle. So make sure you are keeping watch on social media. Make sure you're keeping watch on the internet. Just all the names that could be potentially ending up as Seattle Kraken members. Like you mentioned, TJ Oshie, if that does happen, Taylor, there's no losing for this franchise in, in the public eye here in Seattle. I mean, you've got a marquee name in the league who is from this area. Imagine him wearing that Kraken jersey night one at Climate Pledge Arena. I mean, it would be the the hottest uh, item at the Kraken gift shop, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Yeah, get the jerseys ready. Get the jersey press ready. I don't know what number he would wear uh, if he would change up numbers coming back home. But, yeah, to to see – 
a guy of that caliber and what we know he's accomplished in the NHL come home and hopefully finish his career here. It's Casey Keller-esque. It's Casey <laughs> Keller-esque. That's what I'll call it. It is. Coming up in the next hour, we will get you a big three. We'll take a trip around the NFL, look at some of the biggest headlines from this past week. And then also, it's quiet on the Jamal Adams front, maybe a little too quiet. That's all up ahead. Hour number two coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday.